got a Bible this morning. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Today, what I want to talk about, what I want to look at is, um, what is a genuine saving faith? What is a faith that saves? Um, Romans chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained, have obtained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in receiving that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works... They have stumbled over the stumbling block or the stumbling stone. As it's written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Start in chapter 10, verse 1 there. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer is to God for them that is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of righteousness, the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based upon the law. That is the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven? Or who will bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss? This is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is, and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the proclamation of your word this morning. And God, help us to see what a genuine saving faith is here this morning. Help us to pursue those things far above anything else. We thank you and we love you, Jesus, for all you've given us. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen. So what kind of a faith can save? What kind of a faith is a genuine, saving faith? And I think what we need to do to start out on this is, is rather than um, start to tell you what is a genuine faith, sometimes maybe it's helpful to find out what won't save. What won't save, before we can look at what will save, we need to find out what won't save. So we'll start with that idea and we can see that in verse 31 in chapter 9, Paul shows us 
the failure of Israel to attempt to get salvation. Israel wanted salvation. Israel wanted to be saved. But the, the way that they were attempting to find salvation was not a genuine way. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but rather they based it on works. So what happened here in this verse is that we see Israel attempts to find salvation by trying to keep the law. They had the law given to them, and what they used the law, they used the law as the Messiah. The Messiah, in their minds, was the law. And what's ironic is that the Jews strived so hard to achieve salvation. I mean, they did everything that you could possibly think of. They did, they, I mean, they would be the people that you would see in church and you'd say, that person, they've got their act together. They've got their stuff put together. They worked and they worked and they worked to try to save themselves, but they did it in a different mechanism. They used a different mechanism. They tried to use the law. And then you see the dirty old Gentiles. They, turned, they obtained, by the way, that's you and me. <laughs> they they obtain salvation. And, and they weren't even really trying. They weren't, even, they weren't striving. They weren't pushing. They, they just, it fell in their lap. Why? Because they were doing it in a, they were they were pursuing it in a, uh, through a different mechanism. So you have the, the the Israelites, the Jews, who were attempting to use the law as their path for salvation, and God never intended the law to be the path towards salvation, but rather God intended the law to be the schoolmaster to show human beings that they needed a Messiah. The law was never intended to be the Messiah. It was intended to show you that you needed a Messiah. The law demands holiness. The gospel provides holiness. The law says do, and the gospel says it's finished. Furthermore, the Jews rejected the chief cornerstone. Once again, I told you that they, they used the mechanism to try to find salvation and they rejected the real mechanism for salvation they rejected the chief cornerstone they did not see jesus as their messiah and savior rather they saw him as a stumbling block and as we said in sunday school i talked about this a little bit in sunday school even orthodox jews today view jesus not as messiah but as a stumbling block and as a as an, a rock of offense as the text tells us here and they, they stumble over Christ. These Jews stumbled over Christ and fell right into hell. And it, uh, it's the truth for us today in the world in which we live. Jesus is still a fence. He is still a rock of offense. Look at verse 33. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it's written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They saw Jesus as offensive. Now, in the world in which we live today, the biblical Jesus is still offensive. 
The cultural Jesus is just the happy, fluffy, hippie Jesus that everybody loves. That Jesus, that kind of Jesus says, listen, you don't have to give up your sin. You don't have to give up yourself. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to do anything. All you've got to do is just walk in, sin in hand, self in hand, and you get in any way you want. You can do whatever you want. But the biblical Jesus is offensive because he says, you have to lose your life in order to gain life. You have to repent of your sins and run from your sins in order to be made right. You have to have, you have, to have a Messiah that saves you from your sins. You must turn from your sins and turn to Christ. This is the biblical Jesus and that's offensive. Uh, this week... Um, in, in the town in which I live, uh, this next week they're going to have a giant festival um, in order, and it's, it's called Pride Lives Here. It's going to be a drag queen show. There's going to be um, Sodom and Gomorrah on display on the stage. Um, one of the pastors, and I use that term incredibly loosely, in our town wrote a social media post and said, um, there's nothing in the Bible that condemns Anyone that's in, and she, and she just decided to list everything that, that's in the world. So, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, just everything. There's nothing that says that you can't do those things. God does not, um, de- does not demand that you um, have to get away from this type of lifestyle. You can do whatever you want. This is, this is from a pastor. Jesus, the biblical Jesus, is a rock of offense. And rather than finding salvation in Jesus, these men and women in this text, and there's men and women in 2022 that are tripping over Jesus and fell right into hell. This is where many in not only Oklahoma, Kansas, America are today. We see Jesus not as a doorway for salvation, but rather we look at him as a stumbling block. And rather than trusting in the finished work of Christ, what is happening is that we're trying to achieve righteousness and we're stumbling right over Jesus, right into the pits of hell. And this is exactly what was taking place. The Jews were striving so hard they wanted to be right with God, but they refused to see the mechanism in order to be right with God. They wanted to do certain things. That if you go out today, if we went out in the park today after the church service and we went up to any human being and said, how do you get to heaven? Because I've asked this question. How do you get to heaven? People would say, well, I just hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I hope I'm good enough at the end of the day when the scales are balanced I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, Caleb. That's what I want, Pastor. I want my good deeds. That's the standard response I get. How do you get to heaven? Well, I just hope I'm good enough. That's what these men and women were doing. How can you get to heaven? I want to keep the law. You can't keep the law. It was never designed as a, as a mechanism to be kept. There's only one that's kept the law. It was Christ and Christ alone. Every one of us in the room have broken the law. We've all stolen. Let's just let's let's take a take a test. How many guys have ever stolen anything? Well, let's start here. Hold on. How many guys have ever lied? Because pretty sure you just lied about that. If you don't, not me, Caleb. I've never stolen anything. How many guys have ever used God's name as a four-letter word? 
That's blasphemy. So that's just three of the Ten Commandments. Here's one. How many of you have always honored mom and dad? The brothers are raising their hand, Pamela. Is that Tyler and Darren are raising their hand? Do they have they always honored their mom and dad? Okay. We've we got something new here. But think about it. that's that's just, there's four of the Ten Commandments that none of us have kept. And this is what exactly what the Jews were doing. They were trying to keep the law that was given by God to Moses, and they were trying to keep this law to, be, to find salvation. And rather than looking at Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, they stumble over him and fall right into the pits of hell. Oh, this is, this is what's happening, is that they're trying to achieve a righteousness on their own, and they're not trusting in Christ. They're trying to achieve. What does it say here? Verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer is that God for them is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. So these men and women, listen, they're... Listen, I know that there's men and women that have a zeal and a desire to want to be saved. There's nobody in Cedarville, Kansas that says, you know what? Sign me up for hell. That's where I want to go. Nobody's saying that. Amen. Everyone, if you ask the question, where would you rather go? Heaven or hell? Every single human being would say, absolutely sign me up for heaven. That's what I want. There is a zeal for God, but not according to biblical knowledge. It is based on our human experiences because everything is good over evil. If I could just do better than the guy next to me. If I could just work harder, then I can get into these certain places. That's not the case with Jesus. For Verse 3, For being ignorant of righteousness, the righteousness of God, they seek to establish their own righteousness, and they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is what we're doing. We're trying to achieve righteousness on our own by saying, I'm a good person. The scripture says that in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, that your righteousness is as filthy rags. Your good deeds are as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. So, in order to be saved, you must understand first that you're lost. This is the problem in modern day America is that where people aren't being saved because they don't know that they're lost. We've got men and women that refuse to see that they're lost. And they think they're going to heaven because they're an American. That's not true. You go to, Christ, you go to heaven because Christ has forgiven you. And in order to get someone saved, they've got the fundamental thing that we've got to do before we do any type of gospel presentation you, in order for the good news to be good, there has to be bad news present. Good news invades the spaces of darkness. And so, if I don't know that I've broken the law and that I've offended a holy God, why would I say I need to be saved? Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. I, we've all sinned. But I want you to see this next part. Whoever believes in him, verse 33, back to Romans 9, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So today, what I want us to examine is a faith that will save. Because I want you to understand something. 
Not all faith saves. Not all faith saves. There's men and women who have faith in a lot of things. Men and women have faith in their bank accounts, faith in their jobs, faith in their families. Those things will not put you in the eternal corridors of heaven for all eternity. There are religions that put their hope and faith in certain things. If you're not putting your hope and your trust and your faith in Christ and Christ alone, that doesn't save. Some faith is fake because the faith is put in a wrong object. So today, a saving faith, first thing I want you to just look at here is a saving faith is a confessing faith. A saving faith is a confessing faith. Look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. Now, most of us should have this memorized. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. But if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the one, for, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, this morning. You cannot separate the heart from the mouth. You cannot separate the heart from the mouth. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. So you've got the two that are interconnected. You can't separate the two. The gospel, when you hear it, goes through your ears and down into your heart and you realize that you're a sinner and that Christ has done a work on your behalf to reconcile you and save you and then you're almost there. If, you've, if it's gone in and you realize it and you believe it, but if you never confess it, you're done. You, you, you've not completed it. You can believe it in your heart, but if you don't confess it out loud with your mouth, it's not a complete faith. It's not a complete faith. Because the mouth and the heart are interconnected. As grandma used to say, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Amen? What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. If you, if you believe that Jesus has saved you, you're going to talk about it. You're not going to keep that silent. You're, gonna be, you're not going to be quiet. You're going to be loud. The gospel, when you hear it, it will set you on a path, on a course, to tell people of what Christ has done. This is what happens when the gospel transforms a life. What's down in your heart will come out of your mouth. That's the truth. The heart might be private, but the mouth is public. And these two are tied intricately together. So eventually, if you're born again, you're going to say something. Amen? You're going to. Now, I want you to look at something in verse 9. When it says, you confess with your mouth, that's the Greek word, homo legeo. Everybody say that with me. Say, homo legeo. Ready? Here we go. Homo legeo. That's Greek. And you, you guys didn't know I knew Greek, did you? Yeah, look at that. Homo legeo, homo legeo, which means to say the same as. So in essence, what you're doing, when you confess out loud, what you're doing 
is your, your, your heart and your mind, when, they, when, they're, when they're connected and you speak this out and you say this, you're doing here, you're agreeing with God about who God is. You're agreeing with God about your sin. You're agreeing with God about who Jesus is. And you say what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You're agreeing. Homo You're confessing that. You're agreeing with Jesus that yes, He is Lord. You agree with your heart and with your mouth that Christ is Lord. And you confess that out loud. And you see, look at, they're tied together. What's in your heart will come out of your mouth. A faith that won't make confession is not a faith that will save. Well, Caleb, this is just between me and God, and it's just private, and I'm just going to keep it to myself. No, you won't. No, you won't. Jesus also says that if, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father that's in heaven. A faith that won't make confession is a faith that won't save. A faith that's ashamed of Jesus will not bring you to Jesus. A faith that's ashamed of Jesus will not bring you to Jesus. In the early Rome, Roman Empire, Rome would go around and they would ask, Who is Lord? Caesar was, was king. Caesar was the boss. And they would ask the question, Who is Lord? Caesar or Jesus? And if you said Jesus, you died for your confession. A saving faith is a confessing faith. In the day in which we live, we have turned Christianity into a cafe style of Christianity that uh, we will take a little of this, but we want to leave a lot of that. I want heaven, Pastor. Pastor, I, Brother Caleb, I want heaven. But I don't want his lordship. I don't want him to be in charge. I don't want him to be the boss of my life. I'll take peace. Oh, Caleb, can I get a double helping of peace? Go to a cafeteria. That's what we do in church. Is we take our cafeteria plate and we shove it up there. I'd like to have salvation in heaven. Give me a double portion of that. Give me some of that peace. Give me some of that prosperity. Give me some of that. Give me that. But man, I'll take that. But sacrifice... I don't know if I want that. Now I want blessings. Commitment? Uh, pastor, I think I'll have to pass on that one. I'll have to tell. Righteous living? Holy living? Oh, Caleb, I don't know about that one. That one seems a little bit too far-fetched. I'm telling you all, the kind of Christianity that we've got in 2022 is spineless, gutless, and worthless. It will not save for all eternity if you've got a if you've got a christianity that will not stand firm on the gospel of the lord jesus christ you will have nothing and the people who ascribe to this kind of faith have a false conversion those that refuse to confess those that refuse to repent of their sins those that refuse to stay away from the world are not genuinely born again Christ comes as a Savior and a Sovereign. He's not just the Savior. He is King. And Christ gets all of our lives, not just part of our lives. Amen? Christ doesn't get... Oh, Caleb, wait a minute. 
I'll, I'll, I'll get him on Sunday. He gets me on Sundays. Maybe, well, no, he doesn't get me on Wednesdays because I'm busy. He'll get me on Sundays for an hour and a half, two hours on Sunday. But the rest of my, that's me. No, 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 my, my friends. Christ is sovereign over all. Christianity is not like a filing cabinet where you can walk over and pull open the filing cabinet, pull out the card that says Sunday morning and lay that out and let Jesus stamp that and you put it back in the filing cabinet and say, Christ owns this card, but the filing cabinet's mine. No, 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 my friend. Christ owns it all. He owns the whole filing cabinet of your life. You don't get to compartmentalize and put sections of your life in the presence of God and say, okay, God, that's yours, but this stuff over here is mine. You can't have it. That's not biblical Christianity. That's cultural Christianity. And cultural Christianity will not save. Cultural Christianity will be, is a stumbling block that will cause you to fall directly into the pits of hell. Biblical Christianity is a, is a faith and is a section of life. It's a setup of life that is that you confess and you owe all your life to Christ. You, you have to be what, the, as the Gentiles said here, they, they didn't pursue the righteousness at, at, at the, in the beginning, but when they were presented with who Christ was and they understood, they didn't stumble over Christ, they rejoiced at Christ and they, they gave all of their life to Christ and said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you forever. What's the takeaway here? Christ is Lord and demands that we submit to him. Like I said, a faith that is ashamed of Jesus will not bring you to Jesus. Faith that saves will be a faith that trusts in the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. A genuine saving faith is totally dependent on Christ to make that faith work. You don't muster up and say, okay, today's the day I'm going to work hard to achieve God's favor. No, 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 no. It's that old hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Amen? There's no other way. Trying to work your way into God's good graces will do nothing more than just kindle God's wrath against you. Like I said, Isaiah 64, 6. We all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments or filthy rags. All will fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, will take us away. If you're trusting in your good works today, if you're trusting that maybe my good will outweigh my bad, I'm telling you, you're trusting the wrong thing. What you need to do this day is what Paul said to the Gentiles. You must come to Christ by faith alone. Belief in Him who was and is today. And you must submit your life to Him in order to be saved. Are you saved today? Are you born again? Does Christ rule and reign in your heart? You say, well, Caleb, I sure hope so. Well, man, I'm gonna, I don't want to bank my eternity on a sure, I sure hope so. I want to bank my eternity on the Word of God that says what? That if we confess with our mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord in our hearts that God, and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I, I don't want us just to have a halfway belief. 
James 2.19 says that the demons in hell believe and tremble at who God is. Everybody believes in God. But the kind of belief that's going to have a saving, believing faith is going to be a faith that confesses your sin, repents of your sins, and confesses that Jesus is the boss of your life. Is Jesus the boss of your life this morning? Well, Caleb, no, there's, there's certain areas I haven't given to him. Give them over to him. Stop, stop playing around with sin and hand that over to Christ in a repentant state and say, Christ, save me. And guess what? With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You put the two together, belief in your heart and confession with your mouth, you will be saved. That's the, that's the call this morning. That's my hope for you this morning. Is that you would put your hope and your faith in Christ, in Christ alone. A saving faith is a confessing faith. A genuine faith is a faith that pursues the righteousness of God through faith. Not the righteousness that you build up in your mind, but the righteousness that's revealed in the pages of Scripture. That's it. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved this morning?